Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, good morning. Those of you who are just joining us this fantastic Easter Sunday, uh, let me introduce myself. My name is Rob. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosspoint. And as has already been said to you, you are so welcome here. We're so glad you're here. Weren't those great stories? I mean, those are our own cross-pointers sharing and, and the stories of the hope of Easter. And that's really what we want to focus on today. This is what we are talking about. We're talking about hope. And you see, this, the thing about Easter is primarily it is a story of hope. It's, it's the story of a God who turned his face towards a world that had turned its back towards him. Uh, It's the story of this God who loved this world so much that he actually came and became one of us. The Son of God was born here on earth. He showed us how to live. He, He showed us how to love. He revealed to us what the Father was like, what the Father's character was like. And then, 2,000 years ago, on one fateful Friday, he was crucified on a cross just as he planned. And for those disciples who were there, who witnessed it, who didn't fully understand what was happening, on that day, hope was lost. Darkness fell. They were scattered. But heaven started counting to three. And on Sunday, hope walked out of the grave. Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And Easter, this day, is our ultimate story of hope. There is no greater story of hope. You will not find it anywhere written on this planet, nor will there ever be a greater story of hope than Easter Sunday. And we get to be part of that story of hope. Now, how important is hope? Well, as it turns out, we are hope-hungry creatures as human beings. Hope is, it's actually in our wiring. I mean, we were, we were designed for hope. You know, neuroscientists point out that most of us are born with what is called an optimism bias, okay? It's as if hope is hardwired into our brains. So having a, an optimism bias means that we actually uh, expect things to always turn out better than they actually are. So this means there's a reason why the Edmonton Oilers continues to have a fan base, Too soon? I know what you're thinking. You should talk. You cheer for the Rough Riders. Okay. We have an optimism bias. We have these expectations, positive expectations that are wired into us, even in the face of negative reality. Now, the truth is, being hopeful actually helps. Hopefulness actually works in your favor. You know, studies were done of college kids, and they discovered that college kids that were hopeful had a greater GPA, higher grade point average, and college students that were hopeful had a higher percentage chance of graduating. Athletes who contain hope, they actually perform better, they recover better, and they adapt better to change. Hope is helpful. As a matter of fact, hope is a major contributing factor in your happiness. Hope will actually boost your health if you have hope. But studies also show that when hope is low, it can have adverse side effects. When we have low hope, we're less productive, 
Studies demonstrate that when we have low hope, we show up to work a whole lot less. As a matter of fact, there's, there's one study that found a correlation between hopelessness and mortality, if you can imagine. So a large group of aging, healthy participants, these patients, were first interviewed to determine how much hope they had. And then they had a follow-up interview. And in the follow-up interview, it turns out that those who felt hopeless in the first interview did not show up for the second interview more than 50% of the time. And the reason why is because they had passed away. So, the study revealed there's a strong correlation between hopelessness and mortality. So let me ask you this morning. Do you think it's better to be hopeful or hopeless? And what would you want? I mean, would you rather be a hopeful person or a hopeless person? Well, as I said before, Easter, this story, it's the story of hope. And for thousands of years, the story of Easter has brought hope to followers of Jesus. It has spanned across every continent, every nation, across thousands of language groups and people groups. It has is, it is found hope for men and women, the young and the old. It is a story of hope. But the question is, how is it a story of hope? What is, what is the connection between Easter and hope? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. And so if you have your bulletin notes or if you have a Bible, paper, digital, otherwise, I'm going to get you to turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. And I'm going to be reading a text from there uh, for you to follow along. So I'll give you a second to do that. 1 Peter chapter 1. So Peter, one of the first disciples, one of the closest disciples to Jesus, uh, is writing this letter. And it's very likely that he's writing this letter uh, from Rome. He's actually in Rome at the time that he's writing this letter, and he's writing it to Christians who are scattered all across the Roman Empire. And Peter was writing this letter to a group of people who had many reasons, if not every reason, not to hope. So these were Christ followers. Uh, This was about 30 years after the resurrection that this letter was being written. And at this point in history, being a follower of Jesus was very unpopular. Uh, It was a very difficult time for followers of Jesus. And there were numerous reasons for this. Uh, People didn't like Christians. And one of the reasons they didn't like Christians, uh, for the most part, was because they didn't participate in idol worship. They weren't part of the pagan rituals and temples. Uh, They wouldn't worship the emperor at this time. And so because of this, there was this growing suspicion about Christians, this growing animosity towards Christians. So people wouldn't do business with Christians People uh, were excluded them from different things. They were mocked. Sometimes they were even beaten. Rarely, sometimes they were also killed for their faith at this time. Now, at the time of this letter, this was actually a few years later before a very significant event. This was a few years before the first state-sponsored persecution of Christians, before it would be enacted. You maybe have heard about Emperor Nero, the famous emperor. And he was the first uh, emperor of Rome who decided that it was okay to kill Christians. And he started a campaign of persecution against Christians. There was an event that happened in 64 AD. In 64 AD, a fire decimated most of the city of Rome. And a number of historians would say, well, the fire was actually possibly started by Nero himself. Um, Because as it turns out, Nero's own property, his own palace, wasn't even touched by the fire. But the rest of the city burned. But Nero needed a scapegoat. He needed somebody to blame for the fire, and because he disliked Christians, and because generally speaking most people didn't like Christians, he decided he was going to put the blame on Christians. And at that point, he enacted this empire-wide 
uh, persecution against Christians. Christians were disenfranchised. Christians were beaten severely. They were put in jail, and many of them were murdered. Uh, Nero himself would take Christians, and he'd throw them in the arena to let them be torn apart by wild animals. Nero would take Christians, dip them in oil, stick them up on a pole, light them on fire to provide torches for his garden parties. This is the kind of guy he was. This was only a couple of years away when Peter was writing this letter. So you can imagine the time that he's writing this letter for Christians, these were dark days, and they were darkening days for followers of Jesus. So Peter was writing at a time in history when hope was in short supply. And so what would, what would you write if you were Peter? What would you say to the Christians who are, who are worried and, and, and are experiencing all of this because of their faith in, the, in Jesus and in the resurrection? What would you say to them? Well, this is what we get to read this morning. We get to read a small part of the letter that he writes to them, speaking to them in these hard times when hope seems almost lost. So I'm going to read 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. And Peter says, Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, and it's kept in heaven for you, who by God's power you're being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And this is the word of God. Can we pray? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your living word. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the hope of Easter. And I pray, Lord, today by your Holy Spirit that hope would rise in my heart and that hope would rise in our hearts as we rejoice and we celebrate the greatest victory in human history. So Holy Spirit, speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. So what, did, what message did Peter bring to God's people in troubled times? He brought the message of hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Easter is the story of hope. So the question before us is, what kind of hope is it? And I want to walk through what Peter is sharing here this morning. And I want to focus in on, zoom in on, three aspects of this hope for all of us today. Here's the first thing we note from Peter. He says that it's a living hope. It's a living hope. It's actually right there in the text. Peter says in verse 3 that we are born again to a living hope. It is a living hope. It is not a dead hope. And the reason it is a living hope is because we have a living Savior, not a dead Savior. I mean, we heard the scripture read earlier this morning. What was it the angel said to the women at the tomb? The angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He's not here. He has risen. You know, this is, this is what actually sets Christianity apart from all of the world's major religions and belief systems. If you go to the grave of any other religious founder, you will find their body there, 
Moses, Muhammad, Buddha. But if you go to the grave of Jesus Christ, you will find no body because he is not a dead savior. He is a living savior. And Peter, as it turns out, he actually knew this personally. So he wasn't just passing on stories or myths or um, delusions from other people. You see, Peter was a close follower of Jesus. Peter watched Jesus die. He saw him breathe his last breath on the cross. He watched the soldiers. He thrust the spear into the side of, Peter, of Jesus. But Peter also witnessed the resurrection. You know, when the women came running back from the tomb, sharing the story, the tomb is empty. What's going on? Peter, was, Peter and John were the first to run to the tomb to find out what had happened. And then not long after that, Jesus appeared to Peter. And he appeared to the other disciples numerous times. Peter saw Jesus eat a fish. Peter saw the nail-scarred hands. He saw the, the wound in his side. Peter was an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus. His hope was not in a dead Savior. His hope was not in a rumor. His hope was in a living, resurrected Savior. And friends, the foundation of our hope as followers of Jesus is in a living Savior. And because we have this present foundation, we have a future hope. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that Jesus was who he said he was. He was the Son of God. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ confirms that everything that Jesus said about himself was true. And so when Jesus said on the cross as he died, it is finished, it was finished. And through the cross, Jesus defeated sin, death, the grave, the powers of evil. And he officially launched God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so because Jesus lives, we also can live. You know, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's the beginning and it's the anticipation of our great and future hope. So when Jesus comes back, when Christ returns, because of the resurrection, he will right all wrongs. He will bring justice and peace to a new heaven and new earth. Jesus ultimately will fix everything. There will be no more stress. There will be no more wars, sickness, no more death, no more tears. Just everlasting peace and joy. And for followers of Jesus, we will be able to rule and reign with him in relationship for all of eternity. So it is a future reality that we can scarcely even imagine. I mean, the, the, this side of heaven, we, can barely, we barely even have the language to describe it. That's why when you read so many biblical authors and they're trying to talk about this new heaven and new, uh, new earth, they don't know how to describe it because it's in a reality even beyond the reality in which we presently exist. Their, own, their best guess is to use metaphors and um, similes of, of things that are in our world to try and explain what's in the world to come. It is beyond imagination. And all of this was inaugurated through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You notice what Peter says in the text. He says that this future hope is an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And it's kept in heaven. He's saying that your future hope, this future hope that is available to us is ultimately secure. It's not going anywhere. It doesn't have a shelf life. It doesn't have an expiration date. It doesn't depreciate. It doesn't get watered down like political promises. It is kept in heaven. It is guaranteed. You know, there's no other, there's no other hope that we can have in this life that has that type of a guarantee. 
I mean, I'm, I'm happily married to who I think is the most beautiful woman on the planet. Um, but my hope cannot be in her because as amazing she is, she's going to let me down. And you know what the truth is? As amazing as I'm not, I'm also going to let her down. And if anything you discover in marriage, in a wedding relationship, it's that you cannot put your hope in people. Because ladies and gentlemen, I snore. And I snore really, really bad. You have no hope of getting a good night's sleep. You cannot put your hope in your health. I don't care how fit you are. It doesn't matter how, what type of diet plan you are. It doesn't matter what sort of uh, supplements you find yourself taking. It does not matter. You realize when you're over 40 that your body starts breaking down. Before I was over 40, I got injured maybe once every three months. Now I get injured once every three days, okay? You cannot put your hope in your body. You cannot, if, if we learned anything from the day in which we live, we cannot put our hope in our government, in our leaders. There is no other hope here in this world that is as secure as our hope in our future inheritance that was brought about through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All other hopes fade away. All other hopes will disappoint us. But through the resurrection, we can have assurance that these things will happen. Because Jesus lives, we will live also. So it's a living hope. But, Paul also, uh, but Peter also says that it is a guarded hope. It's a guarded hope. Peter says that by God's power, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what he's saying is that we are being guarded for this hope. Well, what does that mean? Well, that, that word guarded is a really interesting word. In the original language, it actually means to be garrisoned, okay? It's a military term. The image is to be put inside of a fortress and surrounded by soldiers. That's what it means to be guarded. And what's fascinating about this, this, this text is, is that it's not our future inheritance that is being guarded, because Peter already said, well, that's in heaven. That's kept in heaven. It's secure. It's just waiting for us, okay? What's actually being guarded is us. It is God's people here on earth are being guarded. God's protection is around those who will receive the inheritance. In other words, we are being guarded. Have you ever been guarded before? Have you ever had that experience? Um, a number of years ago, I was working in Africa with a relief organization. I was there for a number of weeks in uh, Uganda and Kenya. And, and then at the end of our tour together, we were able to spend a few days in the Mazimara. And the Mazimara, if you know, is this famous game park that's, that's in Africa. It's uh, between Kenya and, and Tanzania. And, you know, you think about the wilderness. You've ever heard of the wildebeest running? Tens of thousands of wildebeest running across the African continent. That's in the Mazimara. Every wild animal imaginable was there. I mean, I got to see hippopotamuses, giant African elephants. I got to see lions. I, got, I mean, zebras were everywhere and gazelles. It was just an incredible experience as we're driving through these vans, going across the Mazimara, watching all of this. And then after the first day, we went back to the place where we were staying, and we're going to sleep overnight. And, I mean, during the day, I I mean, I had this fascinating, I I watched a lion hunt a gazelle, okay? And the lion took down a gazelle. I mean, it was like wild kingdom in real life. And, like, it's, like, happening just, like, here to that wall. It's happening, right? Takes down the gazelle, breaks its neck, right? Drags it back. And I'm like, oh, watching this thing, right? Then I go back to our camp at night, and I realize that we're staying in tents. 
tense with the door open. The door doesn't close. I mean, I've got a mosquito net, but the door's wide open, right? I'm sharing a tent with somebody else. It's a tall tent. It's a canvas tent. It's nicely put together, but it's a tent, okay? And I'm getting into this tent, and all I'm thinking about is a lion snapping the neck of a gazelle, and I'm thinking, I have no hope of making it through the night. How am I going to survive? And I thought, I'm not going to be able to sleep. But it's interesting, as we were getting tucked in and getting ready for bed, we realized that there were two guards who were watching over our tent. They're actually Maasai warriors from the Mazimara. So you see them in the, in the picture there, uh, holding the spears. And as we went to sleep, and as we tried to go to sleep at night, these warriors stayed up all night, holding their spears outside of our tents, watching for wild animals. Because they were guarding the tent, I thought to myself, okay, maybe I can sleep. Because, I mean, after all, if it's just one line, I'm not going to hear them scream and I can run away and they'll be all, okay, okay. No, that's not what I thought. I just thought I would be safe. And it turns out we were completely safe the whole time we were there because we were being guarded. You know, in the, in the text today, Peter says this most amazing thing. He says that we are actually being guarded by God himself. He says it is God's power that is surrounding us and is protecting us. God himself is watching over us in this life. That's fascinating. So the question is, why does God want to guard us? Why does that matter? Well, the reason why is because our hope can be stolen. Hey, listen, you spend enough time on this planet and you can find your hope shoplifted. Hurt, betrayal, those are hope robbers. Spend enough time on social media realizing how inadequate you are by looking at everybody else's fantasized lives. And it will siphon hope from your tank. Wars and famines and shady politics, they'll pilfer your hope. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 12, it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, when you hope for something so much, you're hoping for it, and then ultimately you don't get it. It's like, it's like giving away the password to your hope account. And at the end of the day, stolen hope, it can make you disillusioned, it can make you jaded, it can even make you cynical. And I wonder today, what is it that's stealing your hope? And where are you at? Are you disillusioned? Are you numb? Are you cynical? Are you jaded? Has something stolen your hope? And Peter would say, you know, the only way we can hold on to hope is by staying connected to God himself. He says, because the power of God, it is the power of God that is guarding our hope. That's, that's the thing about power. If you're going to access power, you have to get connected to the source of power. And notice what Peter says. He says, we are being guarded by God's power through what? Through faith. So God's power, it doesn't, doesn't come accidentally. It doesn't come automatically. You actually have to access God's power by faith. In other words, we access God's power by trusting him, by being relationally connected to a loving father who cares a great deal about us. Faith is the ignition. Faith is the catalyst to receiving God's power. And so Peter is speaking to these believers in Christ, and he's reminding them, these rejected, beat up, persecuted believers, he's reminding them to turn to God. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't walk away. Trust in God. Pray, surrender, and allow God's power to guard your hope. 
It reminds me of the lyrics to that pop, uh, very popular Lauren Daigle song, Look Up, Child. She says, you're not threatened by the war. You're not shaken by the storm. I know you're in control. Even in our suffering when it cannot be seen, I know you're in control. I hear you say, I hear you say, look up, child. Look up, child. And, and maybe today you feel like something or someone is stealing your hope. And God would say to you today, don't give up. Don't walk away. Turn your face towards the Father. Look up, child. You know, earlier on today, we, we, were, we were able to hear the stories of two cross-pointers. Uh, we learned that God not only guards our hope, we learned also that God brings light to our darkness. God sets us free from bondage. God heals our broken lives. And all of this is possible, friends, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection is not only the promise of our great and future hope, the resurrection is the possibility of hope in the here and now. And Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19. Here's what he says. He says, uh, he says, the immeasurable greatness. He's talking about the immeasurable greatness of Christ's power towards us who what? Who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul's saying, listen, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power that defeated death itself is available to us who what? Who believe, who put our faith in him, who trust in him, who surrender, who look up and say, God, I need you. See, friends, the hope of Easter, it's not simply a far-off future dream. The hope of Easter can be experienced in the present. It's the hope of a changed life. It's the promise of restoration and, and healing. In this life, in the now, we can know Christ personally. And in this relationship with the living Christ, we can experience his resurrection power. And, and I know this morning that there are so many of you who could attest to this in your own lives and in your own experience. This is a living hope. It is a guarded hope. But it is also a rejoicing hope. Notice what Peter says in verse 6. He says, in this, in all of this, everything he said up to this point, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Peter's saying this. He says, you know, it is possible to rejoice even in hard times. And the reason why this rejoicing is possible is because of our future hope. Now, this doesn't mean as, as followers of Jesus that we don't grieve. It doesn't mean that we don't experience sorrow. Followers of Jesus, we're not Stoics, right, who would, you know, deny pain. And we're not Buddhists who try to escape suffering by eliminating desire. Our God suffered. He hungered. He thirsted. He experienced rejection. He felt pain jolt through his nerve endings, right? So we don't, as believers in Christ, we don't go around suffering. As believers in Christ, we go through suffering. And we know that we don't go through it alone. And what ultimately sets followers of Jesus apart as a peculiar people is our ability to rejoice even in the face of grief. And the reason for this is because we have a great and future hope. We have a, a long view of life and of history. And the end of the story, we know, has already been written. It's kept in heaven, as Peter would say. It's just waiting to happen. 
Did you know that your, your present state of mind, your, your present emotional health can ultimately be shaped by your anticipation of the future, by, by your future hope? You know, Tim Keller tells this story, he talks about two men who were thrown into a deep, dark dungeon, um, and they were each given this 10-year sentence of uh, hard, grueling labor. Now, just before they went in, the first man discovered that his, his child, his daughter, and his wife had passed away in a fatal car accident. He received a, a notification about that. But the second man received a love letter from his two children and his wife, and they said to him, we will be waiting for you when you get back out. Well, you can imagine, after a couple of years, the first man just sort of became a shell of his former self. He wasted away, he curled up, and ultimately he died before he ever, ever got out. But the second man, he endured, he survived, and then 10 years later, he walked out to meet his family. Now, most of us would say that this isn't surprising. I mean, yes, they were, they were given the same life sentence, right? The same 10-year sentence. They felt the same hardship. They went through the same labor. But the outcome of their lives was very different. And why was it different? It was different because about what they believed about the future. One looked with hope, and the other did not. The thing about your future hope, friends, is, is, is that if you have a future hope, and you truly believe this future hope, and you set your eyes on this future hope, you focus on this future hope, it will change your present situation. It will change you in the now. It will change your mind. It will change your emotional health. Your future hope can change your present life. So here's the question. Is that do you have a living hope? I mean, not just a theoretical hope, not just an interesting hope, not just, not just an academic hope. Is your hope alive just as Jesus is alive? Do you have a hope that beats hard in your chest? Is it, is it a hope that makes your heart sing even in the face of lions? Is it a hope that says, I will live now as I hope to be in the future? Do you have a living hope? Is your eyes or your heart set on this great and future hope? Because here's the thing is when we have this hope, we, can, we will have a different perspective on trials. See, here's the thing about trials, and Peter says this in, in the text. The thing about trials is trials will do two things. On the one hand, trials will test your faith. On the other hand, trials will refine your faith. Peter says this, he says, our, our faith, the faith that we have, it's like gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. See, the thing is, uh, what goldsmiths do is they'll, they'll take gold ore, raw ore, they'll put it in a smelter, they'll heat it up, and what will happen is that the cheap impurities will rise to the top, it's called dross, right? And what remains underneath is the pure gold, the good stuff, right? They'll scrape off the dross, get rid of it, and they'll hold on to the good, the good stuff at the bottom, Trials are God's way of turning up the heat in our lives. And when our faith is put into the smelter, we see its quality. We discover how much is pure. We discover how much is dross. Trials ultimately test our faith. But not only that, trials also refine our faith. They help get rid of the impurities so that the good stuff remains. A tested, true, and genuine faith. 
And the reason why as followers of Jesus we can have this perspective on trials is because we actually have a great and future hope. Trials are hard, but trials are not the end of the story. We only, they're only part of the story, but we know the end of the story. We have a living hope. And we know that we are not alone in the story. We have a guarded hope. And so because we have a living hope, and because we have a guarded hope, we can therefore have a rejoicing hope, even in the face of hard times. Now, how is all of this made possible? Well, I want to go back to verse 3. You notice what Peter says? He says, it is according to his great mercy. Our hope is all possible because the king of the kings and the Lord of lords did the unthinkable. The greatest being in the universe, the most powerful, the most wise, the most loving, the most good, the most holy and untouchable being in all of the universe, humbled himself. He emptied himself. He sacrificed himself. All of this was made possible because of his great mercy, according to his great mercy. You know, just a few weeks ago, British tabloids and social media lit up because of a supposed protocol breach. I don't know if you heard about this in the news. Uh, many of you maybe have heard that there is a new princess uh, in the British royal family, none other than Meghan Markle. Uh, anyone know who Meghan Markle is? She's the new princess in the royal family. Uh, she used to be on the, an actress on the show Suits. Uh, she married Prince Harry, and now she's not just Meghan Markle. She is now Princess Meghan Markle, Duchess of Sussex, just in case you wanted to know that. Well, at her first solo event, her first solo event as royalty, she is a princess, okay? She pulls up to the event. The attendant comes and opens the car door. She steps out of the car door, and before the attendant can do it, she turns around and she closes the car door herself. Oh! British tabloids, social media, the Twitterverse went crazy. Crazy. Because when you're a princess, or you're a queen, or a king, people get the door for you. You should never stoop to get your own door. Crosspoint. We have a king who, according to his great mercy, stooped far lower than that. It was an unmeasurable stoop. It was an infinite stoop. We have a king who did not stoop to close his own door. We have a king who stooped infinitely low to open wide the doors of heaven. He humbled himself, he emptied himself, he sacrificed himself so that we could find our way back to God that we might have a living hope. How do we receive this living hope? You notice Peter, he says, you have to be born into it. Think about babies. I think most of us know this. Babies don't make themselves. Babies are made by someone else. And in the same way, the only way that you can enter into this living hope is to be born into it again. You have to be born again into this new life. And Easter Sunday, the resurrection, gives us this hope that we can be born anew. We can begin again in a new life. 
And this new life is yours for the taking today through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot buy it. You cannot earn it. You cannot barter for it. There's nothing you can possibly do to get this living hope. Nothing. You have to be born into it. How are you born into it? You're born into it by giving it, by being given a new life through Jesus Christ. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus was resurrected that you might have new life. And when you put your complete faith and your trust in Christ, you surrender your life to him. You say, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to give you my life. A supernatural event takes place. Born again. He takes your old life, which is dead to God, and he resurrects it. He brings it to life. He breathes life into it. He comes and lives in you through his Holy Spirit, and you begin again. You cannot do it for yourself. And that is good news. What you need to do is, in faith, trust. And this isn't something that's just, you know, for the first time. Every morning I wake up and I live a life of trust and surrender through the God who saved me and who is my living hope. So, this morning, let me ask you, what is your hope in? And do you realize that that hope will always disappoint you? It will never meet the deepest longings of your heart. It will never meet your eternal need. What is your hope? And will you receive this hope for yourself today? Christ. He is our living hope. He gives us a guarded hope and a rejoicing hope. And this is where we want to land this morning. This is where we want to end. We want to rejoice. I think we should be the craziest fans on the planet as followers of Jesus. Because listen, the Eskimos aren't going to give us much hope. The Oilers aren't going to give us much hope. Maybe the Riders. No, none of them. (laughs) The only one who's going to give us hope worth cheering for is Jesus, the Son of God. And this is a day of rejoicing. So I'm going to invite the band, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing. Sing our way out of here this morning through Christ, our living hope. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Oh, great king, we rejoice in you this morning and we thank you that you stooped and you gave up everything that we might live. Thank you for stooping and opening the doors to the kingdom of heaven for us. And we rejoice in you today. And Lord, for those today who need hope, I pray they would look up. I pray they would fix their eyes on you. I pray you would renew hope in their hearts even as we sing. And God, for those who do not know hope, I pray that they would turn to you in faith and trust and surrender their lives to you and receive that hope that is promised for all who believe and receive you. We sing to you now, O King, and we love you because you first loved us. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. 
If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.